0: Welcome to the Common Humanity Podcast, where we are here to have real human conversations. Today, I'm joined by John Rodell. He is a local, to me, poet. Um, he's also from the Cheyenne, Wyoming area. And I don't know if he's from here, but he's at least here now and long-term-ish. Um, and he has historically been a comedian and a bunch of other things. And I'm going to let him tell us more about that because that is the gist of what I know about him is that we share interests. So
1: John, who are you? Oh, that's a loaded question. I know. Uh, it changes probably every hour. That's like saying what's the weather in Wyoming um, currently this incarnation of me is I'm a I, I write poetry. I uh, I've been uh, teaching, uh, kind of writing workshops, but they're not necessarily writing workshops on how to like be a great writer, how to get published. It's more of like mindfulness writing. Um, and uh, yeah, I've been, I've been doing, uh, and kind of now I have a new merch shop. So I'm kind of a small business owner too. So it's kind of this, uh, these days I'm kind of wearing multiple hats, but I'm also a, a husband of 25 years and a father of three stomp stomping boys. And uh, yeah, that's the kind of the, that's the basic resume
0: <laughs> the basic resume so um i really like that you said like it's mindfulness writing um i think that's one of the things that draws me to you as a writer is that it's it your your writing feels like it comes from the heart and from your humanity and not like we were, we actually, you sort of touched on this um, at our poetry reading that we do at the Hawthorne Tree last weekend, weekend before, whenever that was. Mm-hmm. Um, that poetry doesn't have to be intellectual and it doesn't have to be um, a lot of, I don't know, hoity toity kind of stuff. And right. I really like that because. I feel the same and I think that's one of the reasons I'm drawn to your writing is because it is like you taking your human experience and and putting it into words in some manner would you say that that is
1: yeah I I, w- I would definitely say it's not intellectual uh, very much because I I don't fancy myself an intellectual, I'm the worst person you would want on a trivia team uh, with you. I'm the person you want to like put up when it's like, okay, who knows random 1980s television or the roster of the 1997 Broncos. That's about all my, I don't absorb a ton of information in that regard. Um, So no, I teach this and kind of teach is a very strong word. I help guide people who join me on these retreats and workshops through an experience of just sitting down without any agenda, without trying to impress anybody, even yourself, without having a thesaurus so you can find the most incredible words out there, and just write exactly, try to decipher what's going on inside, like kind of looking at abstract art. Our emotions, for me, are always a constant swirl of five different things. When someone asks you how are you doing today again that's like your question at the beginning it's a little loaded there's like 95 different you know we feel 95 different things at once and so writing for me is a great way of sitting down with that swirl and trying to transcribe whatever murmurations I can get from it and that's kind of my writing process uh, is is kind of how I do it and that's kind of these things that I, I talk about And not necessarily writing to like, oh, get published or to have anybody even like your work or even share with anybody. But oftentimes it's an act of self-discovery.
0: I like that a lot. This is a totally random question. Mm -hmm. When someone asks you, how are you doing today? Are you the type of person who's just like, good, you? And then like walk on? Or are you the type of person who actually answers the question honestly?
1: Um, you know, I wish I could say it's a more of the latter, where I live this authentic life, or if I'm having a terrible day and the the checkout person's like, how are you doing today? And I'm like, well, here you go. <laughs> and, and just pour it out. I, I, no, I'm an introvert by nature. So I wear that normal thing of like, hey, great, how are you? And I go through the script. And I, But the problem is, and that's fine in day-to-day life, like we don't necessarily all need to tell everybody how great or how terrible we're doing, like the exact temperature of how we're doing. But the problem I think is, for me at least, was when I wasn't even asking myself that question. I was having that same polite conversation with myself that you would have with a person checking you in for an appointment. How's your day going? Great. Good. How are you? Great. Okay. We're done with that. That was kind of how I was interacting with myself and um, how I bumped into I didn't read poetry. I didn't know anything about poetry. So the fact that you say it's not very hoity-toity because I I found poetry to be quite inaccessible for me. Um, I found it to be uh, you had to pass through this kind of academia portal to at least understand it. And so I thought poetry would never be for me. So I was as surprised as anyone when it just started coming out, but it was because I had all these built up questions. How am I doing? Well, I had a lot of answers to that. And it was eventually the storage bin that I was putting all those answers in. The door broke loose because I couldn't close it anymore. And it came out in poetry form.
0: I like that a lot. I I think that's, I mean, I think that's poetic in and of itself. Um, I always, so I, I feel like I'm pretty decent about handling emotions these days. Like, I feel like I'm a, like mostly a grown up. Um, mm-hmm. But a few years ago, I was not. And my youngest son was probably like five at the time. And I had a really bad habit of just like, and I've been writing poetry to get out all of my stuff for years, sure. um, but still definitely bottle up more than not. And I remember having a conversation with him one day because I just like started bawling at some point in the kitchen. And he was like, what is wrong? And I was like, technically nothing, technically nothing right now is wrong. It's just that like, I've been like, I was like, you know how you feel your feelings when you feel them? And he's like, "Uh uh-huh. And I was like, yeah, mommy doesn't do that. Mommy takes her feelings and she shoves them in a box and she just keeps shoving them in a box until I can't close that box anymore. Now that box is exploding. And Now I'm feeling everything from, like, the last four months because I didn't handle it in the moment. I just, like, set it off to the side. Um,
1: Sure.
0: So, yeah, I think.
1: Yeah. You know, and that's kind of what we're conditioned to do, isn't it? Yeah. Is to, um, you know, wrap it in barbed wire, rub some dirt on it, and then get on with your day. But eventually, you know, the bill comes due on all those things, that all those debts that we're, we're holding off to pay. Uh, the bill grows grows thicker and thicker by the hour, and eventually we have to confront those things, the good and the bad. And that's kind of the knock with poetry that I had, was does poetry always have to be about the most terrible things that have happened to you, the most awful things? I found a lot of the good stuff I was burying away too. Because we're just kind of conditioned to do that. Even gratitude, even joy, we kind of put that in that storage bin or the box, as you you put it. And eventually you have to deal with it. You have to process it. You have to pull it out. You have to look at it and you have to let it speak to you. And then only then, for me, I look at it as these emotions almost like little ghosts and spirits. You know, I I've never been haunted. Uh, I've never, I I would be the worst person to be haunted because I think my bladder would be set to optional but if it's the idea of like if a ghost is visiting you let it speak so then it can go on it can tell you its story i kind of look at emotions the same way and me writing poetry was just kind of transcribing that or using whatever uh, channeling device in my heart i could listen to these emotional spirits write down what they have to say and then i felt better And then I process them and then they were able to go to the light or whatever these emotions go to but I totally relate with what you're saying because eventually it just comes out.
0: I agree um I wrote I I can't think of it right now but I have a poem that's essentially talking about like I'm I'm not really the I'm not the one doing this I'm just the one like translating like I'm just the one putting it on paper I like yeah,
1: anyway. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, that's a good point. I've I've talked to a lot of writers over the last couple of years, and you know, some some people have this idea is like, oh, there's this muse out there, and I'm connecting to this muse. And it's I find that this muse exists inside of us. It's not mm-hmm. something ethereal out there, it's something in here. And I look at writing as more of an archaeological dig into ourselves um than it is pulling something out into us it's I I think we absorb so much during our day that it's more about going in and excavating them out and digging them out yeah
0: I agree with that completely um do you so was there a like a catalyst was there a very a, a specific moment or a specific um event in your life that triggered like the flow of poetry where the the box couldn't hold it anymore?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if there was like a, like in a movie, you see a character has that moment and all of a sudden you and the audience all together, the light goes on and said, so they got it there. I'm not, I don't think I'm that smart. I think it was one of those things that had to come in small. It was almost like a rocket taking off. It had to be one booster, then the next booster and the next booster. And a lot of it started with, Instead of me like discovering something new or like, oh, now I can write, I had to let go of things first. I had to let go of this idea that we can't ask for help. I had to let go of this idea. And certainly, you know, we are both Wyomingites and the suicide rate in Wyoming isn't great. And certainly among men, it's even worse. There's this kind of preconceived, no, you don't talk about these things with other people. I had to let go of those things. I had to, I had to give myself permission to at least have these conversations internally. And so I remember there was a specific day. There was maybe one. I'll, I'll answer your question. Uh, so I used to when I started, first started writing writing and putting it out in a public way I was teaching improv and and performing improv and we were I was part of a sketch and comedy group and so I was writing funny things and I remember I I was feeling really terrible inside I was starting this darkness was growing so I started uh having these fake conversations with God not like I thought I was talking to God but I was having these like making fun of self-help a little bit, making fun of like easy spiritual answers, like just pray about it and you'll be better, or just hang in there, kitty, all these catchphrases that people tell you when you're feeling terrible, and so I started having these like fake conversations back and forth with this God character, and I was kind of poking fun at the whole thing, Um, poking fun at self-help, poking fun at my own faith crisis, poking fun at the idea That maybe if I just was a better person, God would answer my prayers. It was kind of this funny dialogue back and forth. And eventually one day I remember sitting there on the computer and I typed out, you know, this little transcript back and forth. I don't feel very good. And I thought for a second, and I was putting these all on Facebook for people to read in real time, and the, you know, my friends and family were kind of following along, and they thought it was funny and cute or whatever. I, you know, God and I would talk about what was on The Bachelor the night before, or why I shouldn't wear skinny jeans, or why I should probably cut out, cut back on sugar. And but this one thing I typed: I don't feel very well today, and it wasn't talking physically; I was talking internally. And then I remember typing it out and thinking to myself. What happens if I put this out there? What will happen? People will think less of me. People, I I will break the unwritten contract that we're all supposed to have that we don't tell people when we're not feeling well. And I thought this, I cannot possibly do this. But I finished the conversation in that flow without thinking, because all those things I wasn't really thinking. I was just asking myself, how was I feeling? And these conversations would flow. And then I got to the end of it and I felt a little bit better by the end of it. It was like untangling a a knot of Christmas lights inside of me. And I got to the end of it and I was like, I had that decision. Do I publish this for everybody to read the people I would love to see it? And then the people I'm going to cringe at knowing they're going to read this. And what do I do with this? And I put it out there and about 30 seconds later, I was like, I got to delete it. And about, I got back to my computer, it was about 10 minutes later, and then I'd already gotten a message from someone who said, thank you so much, because I was feeling the same way too. And that was the first baby step for me to let go of this incessant need to not show any vulnerability, to strip down the armor a little bit, and to let people see inside what's really going on, because it turns out, the narcissist and me had to learn this, that the things I was feeling, the existential crisis, or whatever things I was feeling at the time, there was a slew of other people feeling the same way, and it wasn't that I wrote something that was beautiful, or like no one's ever written before, or this wonderful piece of literature, but it was just this authentic piece that I wrote in the moment that someone else connected with, and in that moment, I felt empowered with a little bit more purpose than I had before, that when I share parts of my life, the good and the bad, and the the heartbreaking and the wonderful that someone else will be able to say hey that's my human experience as well
0: yeah and i think i think that's really what it's all about like the hmm. this existence that we have we have this ability for like grandiose technology and like all these remarkable things that humans can do but when you get down to it what matters is how you connect with people. And I think like, one of the great things about the internet is it gives us the ability to connect with people we've never met before and may never meet and still have that impact on them. Um, yeah. Because I truly believe as a writer, but as a person in general, that words have power. And mm-hmm. I think, I mean it's where the title of my podcast comes from is the idea that like humans we all share in the same types of joy and like reverie and all of that but we also have similar experiences of pain and of hurt and of grief and in sharing our stories however we share them there's going to be someone who relates there's going to be someone yep. who's just like that, that hits the human part of me. And it makes me feel less alone and less ostracized and less like, I'm wrong in some way, because there's somebody else out there. And if there's one other person out there, there's probably two. And there's, there's probably five, and there's probably 17. Um, yep. And I think, I mean, I'm a firm believer that vulnerability is like your most powerful asset and it's like you can't get stronger in any way without first being vulnerable like not mentally not physically like you have to to get stronger you have to put yourself in a position where you can fail or lose or suck at something and it's making me happy because I feel like I don't know if it's just the circles that I roll in these days um, or if it's a, a larger change in culture, but I feel like we are getting to the point where it's more acceptable to be vulnerable and it's more acceptable to be authentic. And there's still definitely going to be the people who are always on script who are saying, like, hey, how are you? Hey, I'm fine. Like, okay, bye. Whatever. Um, but there's like, every once in a while, there's that outlier where, you know, someone's like, hey, how are you today? And they're like, you know, it's not been that great of a day, but I keep going. And that gives the other person the opportunity to say something like, you know, that's that's rough to hear. I hope things get better for you, which then gives that opportunity of connection. Um I I don't know I don't know how I live inside my head because I basically is like perpetually I think the world is a dumpster fire but then also think that humanity is like this beautiful miraculous thing that has the power to overcome the dumpster fire that we create um and it's it's a very strange place in my head basically right
1: (laughs) well you're a writer so yeah yeah um (laughs) Yeah, in improv, there's two, there's only a couple sets of rules, Uh, because I taught improv, and I use improv in my writing, I don't, I went, again, I wrote a poem today, I didn't know what I was going to write, I just knew how I kind of felt, and I sat down, and I just followed the flow of how I felt until the natural conclusion, and that's kind of how an improv seat goes on stage, Um, but there's only two rules. Rules. The first one is you say yes and, and you just go with whatever. You don't stop, you don't think, you don't judge, you don't criticize, you don't edit. You just write in the flow. You just keep saying yes until you run out of yeses. And the other rule is the most important thing that will happen on stage, the most important thing, not your idea, not whatever prop you're going to come up with, not whatever joke you think in your head. The most important thing is the person standing next to you on stage. That connection you have with your partner on stage is more important than anything you're going to come up with. And that's kind of the thing I brought to the writing. And one of the reasons I stay on the often cesspool of social media and post my writings there, not necessarily because I love everybody knowing exactly everything about how I'm feeling or what the sentiment of the poetry is, but because in the comments section, then people start sharing their stories and their perspectives and I think that's where all the gold exists. It's in, as you put it, the sharing of little stories, these little mosaic, mosaic tiles we give each other, we share back and forth, and we get all these mosaic tiles, and we put them all together and it's a beautiful picture. But we have to give each other space to share a story and then listen to a story. And that's one of the amazing things about social media. That's also one of the terrible things about social media.
0: <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree um my my boyfriend lectures me a lot because he says I spend too much time in the comment section on the internet um because I like to connect with people and sometimes that connection might turn into an argument with someone who I think needs to be educated on something but most often it is like genuine human connection and sharing stories um Mm -hmm. and when I'm when I get all intellectual on people, it's usually because they're being mean to somebody else. And then I'm like, "Mm, let me tell you why you're wrong. And it's coupled with connection with whoever they're being mean to. So (laughs) no, I get it. Cause I, since I was a, a young kid, I feel like I've sort of been a bully, but I like bully the bullies. Like, cause I've always been a, big person like i'm a big strong person and so whenever i saw people being picked on i would go pick on the people picking on them so they wouldn't pick on the little people anymore <laughs> it's not the exactly, law of the jungle
1: yeah. yeah
0: it's not not the best way to handle it but it got the job done
1: yeah Yeah. No. <laughs> i mean that's the it's, it's it's all part of the it's all part of how we eight billion inmates all interact with each other here on the spaceship planet we're all on <laughs>
0: Um, so I am also the, uh, the parent of wily young boys. Um, what, like you have all boys. What has been your, in general experience, if you could sum up the experience of raising boys, what would that be like for you?
1: Boy, sum it up. Um, I think, again, it's going to call back to what I said earlier. I had to learn to let go of things. Mm -hmm. I had to let let go of expectation. I had to let go of um, what exactly, you know, you have this romantic idea. Well, I grew up with watching a lot of television. Television was my third parent growing up. So I grew up watching a lot of sitcoms and a lot of televisions where you saw this structured dynamic dynamic between fathers and children and husbands and wives and all of that and it was this our first our firstborn was uh he he's living with autism he was diagnosed with autism early in his life and his experience traveling that road has taught me to let go of these expectations of what this is going to be like um I let go of this hierarchical thing of where it's like I am the father and things I say are law. You know, when it comes to like don't eat poison or don't get in a white van, those things hold true. But when it comes to just letting my kids have their own opinions or letting them have their own experiences and me not trying to protect them from failure or anything like that, to not try to make their story my story or live vicariously through them. For me, the more I've learned to let go, the better parent I've become. Um, That doesn't mean you're not hovering at times still and watching. But if I want my kids to have their own amazing experience on this planet, I don't want them carrying my baggage. They're going to have their own baggage with them. I carried a lot of my own parents' baggage, and they were carrying their parents' baggage and things like that. We just pass it on down the line to each other. So my goal was, number one, to, as as I watched our son Noah kind of, Teach me how to let go of what I thought being a parent was going to be like, because all of a sudden it was going to be radically different um, than what I had planned on based on watching TV or whatever social expectations I had. And letting go of those things and less, just treating it as an adventure where we're going to say yes and to things, and I'm not going to have all the answers, and I can be free to tell my kids I don't know about that. Um, that, that's definitely the first thing is, is letting go and not always feeling like I have to be right. Yeah. Uh, but what is it, what would I say to someone who's about to be a parent and, you know, they're going to have a boy and they're going to get in this rough and tumble road. I would say, don't take it so personally. Ooh. Don't take parent, don't take being a parent so personally, Um, if your kid's mad at you, don't, don't, don't take that personally. If they're, if they're having a, certainly if they're a teenager, if they're having a great day, don't have a, don't be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to join you on this great day and follow you like be on this road with you, why young love and young romance is going great or why everything's going well in school, because then when things turn bad, I'm going to be right there with you and being mad and sad with you. My job as, a, as trying to be there is just kind of guiding and not taking it all so personally. I think had it not been for Noah, our firstborn, who taught us how to kind of let go of these things and let go of the, all these expectations we had for our kids, I would have taken this road a lot more personally. When my kids failed, I would have been mad. And I would have been like, oh my gosh, how could you do that? Or if they succeeded, I would have been like, this is part me because how good of a parent I am. It has, I want to let go to enough where they can have their own experience and where I'm not forcing them to have my experience.
0: I agree. Um. One, one short thing on that, and then a story, well, I guess two stories, a short yeah. story, then a long story. Um. The first one is, so I'm divorced from my kid's dad, have been for like six years now. Um. And early on, he wasn't like, we'll go with super into the parenting thing. <laughs> and right. um, a couple of years after our divorce, he like called me and he was just like, Sebastian, who's our oldest and feistiest for sure. Um, He was like, he told me that he hated me and he was distraught. And he was like, he told me he hated me. And I was like, congratulations, you're a parent. Just like that. And yeah. he was like, what? And I was like, like, he hates you because you're parenting him. Because like, it's not, because you're playing the role that you're meant to play and that's a good thing and he's gonna hate yep. you sometimes and you're not always gonna like them <laughs> like you always love them but you don't always like them just like yeah. anybody else on the planet like right. people are annoying even if they're your favorite people in the whole wide world True. um so I think that's one of the things mm-hmm kind of to go along with not taking it so personally is like it is it is hard there I've not there are so many times that I've cried because my kids are have some feel some sort of way about me and I feel like because I'm also a human um what I well I mean in fourth grade I was convinced I was an alien but that's I mean they haven't come for me yet so I might have to accept humanity. Right. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's, like, it's so hard because you, you want, like, this unconditional love that the the TV promises you, and the unconditional love is there, but you forget that with unconditional love comes, like, again, just like you're not always going to like them, they're not always going to like you and you're going to fight, and you're going to butt heads, and it's it's a very fun roller coaster, um, but it's definitely an emotional roller coaster. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, it's improv. Being a parent is is absolutely improv. It was my first improv teacher, is you have no control over much of anything except how you're going to react to what's happening. And, uh, you know, when your kid's heart gets broken, you can have the choice of like taking that to a point where you're going to let your heart get broken too. And you're going to get in the weeds and you're going to try to navigate that experience for them. Or you can just say, hey, I'm your scene partner on stage and I'm going to be right next to you. And I'm going to let you have this experience, but I'll be there to pick you up when you fall down. If you lose a line, I'll be there and I'll step in for a second. But you can't have your kids experiences for them. Um, And I think sometimes that was the kind of parent I think I wanted to be. I wanted to live vicariously through them. I wanted to um, have them have successes and things like that, academic or athletic or whatever, so I could feel that success. Mm -hmm. But really, I need to be kind of a little bit agnostic to may to the things that happen to their everyday life because I can't follow them on the highs and lows. I have to be even, and so when they're high, I'm still trying to be the same person as when they're having a terrible day.
0: Right. Well, I think part of our job as parents, as the ones who are supposedly better at regulating our emotions because we have more life experience, right, is. Our job is to teach them how to regulate themselves, and to do that, we have to stay as close to baseline as possible to help get them back to baseline um, and I think I mean it, it's super hard and so yeah. my whole yeah. my whole family we we all had ADHD and my oldest son was the first in the family to officially be diagnosed and like treated for it. And it has been, so that's been our challenge because it's one, been a challenge of like, oh, I'm finally seeing, and it's almost like, cause one, he's very, he's very similar to me as just a human being. So we he butt heads a lot, but also it's like, he's the actual child that like all of these things that me as a, a child in school, didn't have someone to advocate for me. Yeah. It's my job as his parent to advocate for him so that he has yeah. Yeah. that the best experience and not even, I mean, I say best experience, but like the most equitable experience.
1: Yeah.
0: And my kids and I, we, we talk about everything, like we're, whether they like to or not, like we talk about our feelings because I grew up in a family that we weren't allowed to talk about our feelings we like the only feelings we were allowed to have was anger and every other emotion right. was shut right. down
1: right and
0: so um we've talked about our feelings our whole lives and so like I have very emotionally intelligent children but in that same regard then they're dealing with like they'll come home and be like my friend did this, I asked them to stop, I told them why it was bothering me, and they still didn't stop. And I'm just like, ooh. So, the problem with living in a family that has emotional intelligence and practices emotional intelligence is that's still not the norm. And so, like, learning that other people, frankly, don't give a shit (laughs) if they're bothering you, um is like, it's a hard lesson to learn. And then they're learning it young because they recognize like the other side of things, but it's just, I think there's a hard part as parents, um, parents in general, and then parents with kids with any sort of special needs is that like, especially if you don't like, you don't have this experience before. No parent knows how to parent. Like, you can read all the books, um, and you will still be flying by the seat of your pants. Yeah. Um, Like you said, parenting is improv, and yeah. um, you can try to control it as much as you want to, but at some point, you're going to slip on a banana peel and have to figure oh, things yeah. out.
1: How boring but, would it be if you didn't?
0: Right? It would be very boring. um, And...
1: Yeah, (laughs) it's the it's the it's the empath's journey of not only knowing their own feelings, but giving people to have permission to have their feelings as well. And sometimes the feelings towards us, maybe their people are just being a complete jerk, and maybe people are being mean to us, and maybe people are stuck in their own. But we try to be empathetic even to them and to understand what it is going on in their life to make them be that way and it's an impossible equation to solve it it sounds so idealistic to be like oh you just you know someone's mad you just think about their backstory and give them permission doesn't give them permission but the three words are super powerful I understand you. I understand what it's like to have a bad day and be a complete asshole to someone. I understand what it's like to have a short temper. I understand what it's like to feel exhausted. And so when someone's not being kind to me or one of my kids, I try to approach it like that as I, I have been there my, myself as well. Um but you know, like perfectly as you said, parents don't come with instruction manuals. Kids didn't come with instruct they don't have instruction manuals. And you'll should know how to be kids. We are all just jazz players playing our own instruments at the same time, all trying to figure it out all together. And um yeah, it's 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 an impossible, beautiful situation.
0: Yeah, and I think um, it I think beauty and chaos is how I would define that. Is and I think that's how I would define humanity in general. Um, I tangent, uh, I'm, I personally don't believe in, in a higher power and I've had a conversation Mm -hmm. with people before and they're like, well, where do you think we came from? And my literal answer is, I think we are the most beautiful mishap that could have ever happened. Like if we are beautiful chaos and it's, it it wasn't intentional, it's just like sort of, all of our atoms bumped together in such a way that this world
1: exists. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah I, I was born and raised Catholic. Um, I don't, I, as I've grown older and grayer, I don't really want to know how the sausage is made, whether it is all divinely inspired and created intentionally through some sort of architecture and engineering great. If it's due this cosmic accident, one in a billion trillion accident that the Big Bang could happen in a way that even scientists can't even comprehend to create a universe the infinite that is still unfolding as we speak, like a picnic blanket where right now, as we're talking, new stars and galaxies are being formed right now, if that's happened just by accident and coincidence inside of some sort of lab, I it doesn't really matter either either answer for me is delightful um so I again I don't take it personally either I don't take those big mysteries like oh I need to know for certain how any of this works I'm I kind of enjoy not knowing
0: I I I honestly I agree with that I enjoy not knowing which is strange because I'm like I'm mostly like I'm a know-it-all so I feel like I have to know everything always (laughs) um I think that's the one thing where I can like wash my hands and be like, "eh," but at the same time, I've always, I was also raised Catholic. And so I'm like one of the only people in my family who is, I refer to myself as a heathen because that's what I am by definition. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting because there is, I totally just lost my train of thought. It just went off the tracks. It was there, and it's gone.
1: <laughs> no, I, yeah, that's uh, that's my normal experience. I start talking, and then the sentence, I lose the back half of sentences a ton of the time. But no, it is this idea of having to know everything. And we feel that's kind of conditioned on us. Oh, I need to know. I need to have what certainty to know how everything happened, or how it created, or how prayer works, or how prayer doesn't work. I, I don't really... Again, it's kind of like my children, some of that stuff is just none of my business. I'm just here to kind of, with the experience, like I, if God exists in the way that I was taught to believe God exists, great. If God doesn't exist at all, great. It's all, it's all, there's a lot more fun in the unknowing than knowing everything. Um, Yeah, I wanna know how to, you know, keep myself alive and I need to know how to pay my taxes and I need to know certain things. But I don't need to know all the stuff behind the veil. I, I Kind of like, it, it makes writing poetry much easier. Uh, you don't see very many know-it-all poets.
0: <laughs> Fair. Um, yeah, and I think that that part of that is that, that unknowing, I don't know, the unknowing is where I feel comfort. Like I I am more comfortable with the idea that when I die I turn into dirt than I am with like I die and then I have to do all of this all over again on a more cosmic level. Like, right. that's, that seems stressful. <laughs> right. I'm just trying to get through today.
1: <laughs> right, that seems the simplest answer. Yeah. No, I I I totally get that.
0: Um oh, I think I I think I found my thought from before. Um I always used to tell people because they'd be like, well, what do you what's going to happen if like when you die and you find out that you were wrong and God is real and Jesus is real. And I was like, I was like, I'm gonna be like, hey, so I I feel like I was a pretty good person. Like I didn't murder people. I tried to be really kind. I tried to help the world. And like, if you still don't jive with me, that's totally cool. I'll go elsewhere. But it's one of those things where I feel like if you lead a good life and good is arbitrary, but the the general accepted, if you have a moral code, um, you should be fine either way.
1: Like, if you're... Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, again, I think that if, I, I, if that were to happen too and all of a sudden I die and I go up and it's completely different than what I thought it would be, I think the less attached I am to an outcome, the better. Yeah. The less I I will it's again, perhaps the afterlife is uh yes and and maybe there's just one yes and it's over. I I don't know, but that's fine. It's uh, you know, if there is something completely different than I'm prepared for, then at that point, all I can do is say, Hey, you should try being human too for a little bit. You wouldn't know anything either. And then I'm sure who's ever in charge will be like, good point, which you on. So yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not really interested in the tallying and in the you know keeping score and know oh, who's following what rules and what but aside from what you said the basic tenet of being a good person whatever that word universally means but kindness above all so.
0: You said that and I just had like this image of a stage and like as soon as you die that's like that that your whole life like the whole story you just lived was just the improv prompt that you were given for whatever your yes and is and i think that's yeah i think that's a really
1: it seems as plausible as anything
0: it's true (laughs) okay we're gonna move into our game um okay because i don't know how long we're gonna talk on these things so
1: okay
0: question one Name a couple of movies you like and
1: why. Ooh, I love movies. And I'm glad you didn't say, like, what? Okay, couple. Thank you for letting me at least have a couple. And there's going to be probably some recency bias, because I've watched all sorts of movies. Like, nothing offends me. I, I will literally watch anything. There's not, like, I'll watch whatever, because um, I love stories recently for sure I'll answer the first one that's on the top of my head and, and try to in the background think of the other one eternal sunshine of the spotless mind with uh, jim carrey and, and uh, kate winslet is a wonderful story kind of a do you know that movie at all it's a it's a wonderful surreal movie of these of this couple together and it's about memory and attachment and and love and it's told in such a creative way um I think Spike I think it's a Spike Jones movie and it is such a wonderful real movie about how tricky and rocky relationships are and how easy it would be for us to kind of erase people from our mind, but we can't because we become so entangled together that even if we were to erase each other from each other's memories, it would still like a wildflower crop up through the sidewalk. there would be no way of 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 burying all that all th- that between us and it's just a sweet lovely movie that i i I really really do love um second movie i'm gonna have to go out on a limb because now the entire spectrum of all movies no one's jumping out at me so i'm just gonna have to pick one um i'm not gonna try to pick a rom-com because that one is in the vein of a rom-com um let's say uh, That's a little cliche, but let's say, okay, uh, Godfather, Godfather, um, a wonderfully told story, and I'll have a third one, now the one just said, what about me, and I'll have to talk to that one. Godfather, a wonderfully told story about family dynamic. I mean, yes, it's about mafia and it's about murder and crime families and and vengeance and vigilant and uh you know uh, blood feuds, but it's about family and responsibility and how we feel kind of trapped into our a script given to us by our people before us to say, okay, now you will do this, and you see the conflict in him as it goes on that you all through all three movies by the end of it he dies the main character dies um, and he's sad and he's lonely he's built this empire but a lot of his loved ones have died and you think back into the idea is like what if he would have made a different decision in his when he was 20 and decided not to follow in the family business and it's a, i think it's a wonderful epic tale of even godfather 3 which everyone rags on It's not great, but I think it tells a wonderful story of a kind of a a cautionary tale about what happens when we let someone else give us our story. And, you know, not to have a callback, but maybe that's what influences me as a parent, that I want to make sure I'm not doing that for my own kids. But there is a lovely movie that nobody else knows about out there that you should know um, starring Adam Driver. Um, You might know this. It's called Patterson. And he played, it's on Netflix, I think, or Hulu. It's a it's really small movie he played in between being Kylo Ren and all the Star Wars movies and all the big movies he was in. He was in this lovely little movie called Patterson in which he plays a guy named Patterson who lives in Patterson, New Jersey. He's a bus driver. He's got a very eccentric wife at home, but he spends his days writing these simple little poems. And he he kind of gets his inspiration from his poetry while driving a bus and he hears conversations behind him and it gets him to kind of inspires him he listens to other people's stories and then he gets home at night and he writes poetry based on that and i completely relate to that and i love it and it's such an understated really really wonderful movie that if no one's heard of it before you should definitely check it out
0: um i'm going to have to because that sounds fantastic um also i'm it's great based- Based off of what you've said, I'm finally going to have to watch The Godfather, which I've never seen.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I it's it's a little Shaped. bit of a chew, and I don't know if it holds up, but it's, it, it's just a great... I mean, it's a really good story, just in general.
0: So, I'm going to be terrible at this, because I don't remember titles of things. Because you mentioned him, um, there is another Adam Driver movie that I saw on Netflix... Where he is um him and his wife are like going through uh I don't I don't remember if they get divorced or not, but they're struggling and he is a writer for uh like Broadway. And yeah. I don't remember what it's called, but there's there's singing and it's fantastic and it's I don't think it's like a full on musical, but there's definitely a musical element nice. to it. Okay.
1: Yeah, I don't know um, that one. I was thinking maybe it was Marriage Story, but that one's not at all I don't think like this. So,
0: yeah, I I don't I have a tendency to like I watch what Netflix is just like, "Hey, you might like this," which sometimes has subtitles or is dubbed over or is like strange not not strange, but like
1: <laughs> Yeah, no, I get it.
0: Yeah, B-level movies that mm-hmm. they like they were never on the big screen, but they have really good stories, which brings me to my next yeah. one, which I also can't remember the title of. Um <laughs> if if I remember, I'll like put them in the notes of the podcast or something. Yeah. But it's this story of this kid who is obsessed with sound, just sound in general. And so he has this habit of he'll play music with headphones in. And then he'll play, like, I always say this backwards, is it ASMR? When you have Mm -hmm. just, like, the the sounds of things with, like, a headset over the top, so he has music mixed with that, and he just loves sound. And then he has a seizure, finds out he has a brain tumor, and they're like, well, we're going to have to remove the brain tumor, so you live. And he's like, okay, that's fine. And they're like, and you're going to lose your hearing. And he's just like, no, absolutely not. I can't live without sound. And then he goes on this epic road trip, like he runs away from home because he wants to make a list of a hundred of his favorite sounds. And he's making a playlist of his favorite just noises. And it was so phenomenal to watch and how they just directed it because they would like zone in on the sound he was thinking of which was like there was one time where it was like the blinds kind of rattling in the wind and it was like I swear for the first time in my life that I've listened to that sound like it's always been there as like noise in the background but it was the first time where I was like that is a good sound and like one of the sounds was a hundred cans of coke opening at the same time so just like that like wow yeah. and so there's all these amazing sounds and it was just a really cool movie to
1: watch <laughs> yeah when you get the name of that put it in the notes i'll definitely watch that
0: yeah i will i'll track it down and then um i'm i'm going to do two more because they're along the same lines i'm a disney i don't disney movie fanatic um and i really love How especially the newer Disney movies actually have messages, not not even messages, but like as someone who has experienced it, when I first saw Frozen, I was like, oh, Elsa's dealing with childhood trauma and she's overcoming that. That's fantastic. When I watched Moana, like Tafidi is this essence of like who you turn into when you let your trauma take over and you're defensive and then you get your heart back and you get to be yourself and you get to be the beauty you are always meant to be and then in Kanto I remember watching that for the first time like my boys loved it and then they'd seen it like 10 times before I ever got the chance and the first time I watched it um I cried when I can't remember the name of the song right now but it's the the whatever the strong sister's name is which mm-hmm. I can't think of yeah and she, I'm the strong one I'm not nervous like I'm yeah. as tough as the crust like and I, I, I was in that point of my life where I was like I'm the one who supports the family I'm the one who Like everyone's just like, give it to your sister. She's stronger. She can handle all of this. And I just like ball. And like I sat down with my mom afterwards and she was like, why is this so emotional to you? And I'm just like, it's about dismantling like generational trauma. And she was like, it's just a Disney movie. And I was like, no mom, let's watch this again. (laughs) (laughs) And so all of the, like, there's, I like movies that in general, like, you could, you could see just the surface if you choose to, but they have something deeper if you're willing to look for it. And yeah. it, sometimes you don't even have to look for it. Sometimes, like, if you've had that experience, you just see it or feel it. But those three all hit me pretty yeah. hard because I was like,
1: yeah.
0: I, yeah. I'm right there with you, various non-Disney princesses. <laughs> Okay. Question two. Do you think the world can live in harmony? If so, what would it take to achieve it?
1: Um, Harmony is an interesting word. Uh, I guess if I knew the answer to how it could be achieved... um, Easily, I would probably uh, be super rich or start a cult. Um, Well, I I think, yes, to a point. I mean, harmony is. Harmony means kind of like balance and everyone kind of fitting together. Um, Sometimes that gets broken into like conformity. It's like, oh, everyone's just got to. It kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. The more we share our stories with each other, the more empathy we get, we gather, even people I vehemently disagree with, the more I listen to them tell me their story, not necessarily trying to convince me where I'm wrong so I believe in what they believe, but I'm more interested into like the person behind their opinion and the belief and to hear their story. And I give, I'm trying to give space for that. I mean, 2016 through now is the perfect, it's, it's High School Debate Club 24-7. And it's this idea of like, I'm tired of debating, I'm more interested in listening. And then when it's my turn to share, then I'll share. And it's kind of like those little icebreaker games when you play where everyone gets a little bit like a minute to kind of talk. And the more we sit around this campfire together and I'll share a little bit of story, the more we will gain empathy. Those little mosaic tiles get put up and the more we listen to each other, So yeah, do I think we can live in more harmony? Yes. Do I think we can live in absolute harmony? No, we got 8 billion choir singers and there's going to be way too many people off key um, who who maybe didn't uh, steam the night before and we're not going to be able to do that. But I think it all starts with listening to one another and then having the courage to speak and to share our story because that's part of it we can defer to other people, but we also have to be brave enough to speak, and we also have to be brave enough to listen, so.
0: I like both of those points. Um, I'm gonna be idle, idealistic here, and I'm gonna say yes, I do think that we can live in harmony. I think there, like, there's potential energy there. <laughs> Whether it gets turned into kinetic energy, has been is yet to be seen but I think like give it a a thousand more years maybe (laughs) um and I think basically the same thing you said the way to achieve this is through conversation and connection and just seeing each other as human and and I think that's honestly where a Big part of the disharmony in the world comes from is people viewing other humans as not as human as them. And I think, yeah. I mean, we've been fighting that for, you know, the entire length of humanity. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. <laughs> It's a very transactional nature. We're in the transactional phase right now. We treat each other transactionally. And if someone does, if we don't like them, then we cancel that transaction, we write people off or we call people names or evil or put them in boxes. When really 98, I think this is my statistic, I think this holds true, about 98.2% of the people out there, if we just all sat down and listened to one another, we would find consensus but we don't do that because we want to be right all the time and we want to win and we want to be the smartest person in the room and we don't want to have anyone tell us something we don't know already. Um, and I think the more we, as a humanity evolves, maybe we want to be less certain of things and let other people tell us the things that we don't know. And I think that will be a great step in that direction. A thousand years seems about right. I might be still too optimistic.
0: <laughs> I'll I'll be floating in the cosmos by then so oh, right yeah, <laughs> yeah. your stage
1: your 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 scene on stage well have ended soul of mine yes
0: exactly yeah. okay last question from the cards oh <laughs> what do you think happens to us when we die
1: i think yeah i mean i will just i don't want to reincarnate ooh, look at that i don't want to reincarnate my answer <laughs> but i think it would be um i don't really want to know I don't want it to be something that's tranquil and easy and oh, so you did this and now you get to sit in an endless lazy river with pina coladas because that would be boring. If anything continues on, I hope it has as much heartbreak and excitement and joy and failure and things to be astonished by that we have currently with us. Um, Because if it isn't, if it's this idea of, Here is this wonderful country club that only 3% of the people get through, as long as you tithe enough and you're part of the right, you and the popular enough, then you get in. That seems really boring to me. So, what do I think happens when we die? I think it's going to be something beyond anything I would ever guess. And that doesn't mean necessarily that it's something, it's just, it's beyond my comprehension of what it would be. So I don't even live like that. I don't even want to answer that question. It's like when someone writes a, if I were walking by a high school classroom and they had a calculus equation up there, and it's like, what's the answer? I would look at it for a second and then I would immediately be like, I'm gonna go throw up. Whenever I hear someone talking about hellfire or heaven, or these are the things you have to do, I have the same reaction. It's an equation I don't wanna solve. And you know, I'll find out eventually.
0: I like that. Um, My simple answer is what do I think happens to us when we die? I think we uh, turn into soil and our energy and our nutrients go back into the world and it cycles over just like Lion King and (laughs) it's a circle of life. Um, But I'm open to other possibilities and... I hope not to find out for another
1: okay. like,
0: 60 plus years. So,
1: right. Right. So now whenever I'm right. confronted with that question, I always answer, how do we know this isn't it?
0: Right. Like,
1: it well could be. We, I have no memory <laughs> of what happened before. So, and I have no expectation of what happens after. So, good luck. <laughs> All right.
0: One last question for you. If there's one thing that the world needs to hear or know, what is it?
1: That the three most important words are, I understand you. I think that's why I write poetry. And a lot of ways that's probably, you know, why anyone writes anything or does anything expressive. they want people to understand them is when someone tells you i understand you doesn't mean that i'm going to solve your problem it doesn't mean i'm going to cure it for you it doesn't mean i'm going to criticize you for it it doesn't mean any of that it means i also am a human on this wild ride of eight billion other people on this roller coaster i understand what it's like to grieve i understand what it's like to get fired i understand what it's like to have the most most amazing day you've ever had. I understand this quintessential human experience we're all having. That the more we spent time understanding one another, the better. So, yeah, that would be uh, to say I understand you to more people, um, and really mean it because that meant you listened to them and to let other people understand us. And it feeds back into that question of storytelling and gathered around a circle. The more we understand each other, the better. And maybe these mysteries, these cosmic mysteries we're talking about will be solved if we all just gathered around and understood each other better. Um, Because maybe we all just have one trillionth of a percent of the understanding of what's going on. If we collectively work together, we'd have a better picture. But yeah, I think understanding each other.
0: Love it. Well, John, thank you very much for joining me on the Common Humanity Podcast and having a real human conversation with me.
1: This was amazing. Thank you so much.